Part 3, Articles 4 to 15 of the Small Called Articles. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Small Called Articles by Martin Luther, translated by F. Benty and W. H. T. Dow. Part 3, Article 4 of the Gospel. We will now return to the Gospel, which not merely in one way gives us counsel and aid against sin, for God is superabundantly rich and liberal in His grace and goodness. First, through the spoken word by which the forgiveness of sins is preached, He commands to be preached in the whole world, which is the peculiar office of the gospel. Secondly, through baptism. Thirdly, through the holy sacrament of the altar. Fourthly, through the power of the keys and also through the mutual conversation and consolation of brethren. Matthew 18.20, where two or three are gathered together, and so forth. Part 3, Article 5 of Baptism. Baptism is nothing else than the word of God in the water, commanded by his institution, or, as Paul says, the washing in the word. As also Augustine says, let the word come to the element, and it becomes a sacrament. And, for this reason we do not hold with Thomas and the monastic preachers, or Dominicans, who forget the word, God's institution, and say that God has imparted to the water a spiritual power, which through the water washes away sin. Nor do we agree with Scotus and the barefooted monks, Minorites or Franciscan monks, who teach that, by the assistance of the divine will, baptism washes away sins, and that this ablution occurs only through the will of God, and by no means through the word or water. Of baptism of children, we hold that children ought to be baptized, for they belong to the promised redemption made through Christ, and the church should administer it, baptism, and the announcement of that promise, to them. Part 3, Article 6, of the Sacrament of the Altar. Of the Sacrament of the Altar, we hold that bread and wine in the supper are the true body and blood of Christ, and are given and received not only by the godly, but also by wicked Christians, and that not only one form is to be given. For we do not need that high art, specious wisdom, which is to teach us that under the one form there is as much as under both, as the sophists and the Council of Constance teach. For even if it were true that there is as much under one as under both, yet the one form only is not the entire ordinance and institution made, ordained, and commanded by Christ. And we especially condemn, and in God's name execrate, those who not only omit both forms, but also quite autocratically, tyrannically, prohibit, condemn, and blaspheme them as heresy, and so exalt themselves against and above Christ our Lord and God, opposing and placing themselves ahead of Christ, and so forth. As regards transubstantiation, we care nothing about the sophistical subtlety by which they teach that bread and wine leave or lose their own natural substance, and that there remain only the appearance and color of bread, and not true bread, for it is in perfect agreement with Holy Scriptures that there is and remains bread. And Paul himself calls it, 1 Corinthians 10.16, the bread which we break. 
and 1 Corinthians 11.28, so let him eat of that bread. Part 3, Article 7 of the Keys The keys are an office and power given by Christ to the Church for binding and loosing sin, not only the gross and well-known sins, but also the subtle, hidden, which are known only to God, as it is written in Psalm 19.13, who can understand his errors. And in Romans 7.27, St. Paul himself complains that with the flesh he serves the law of sin. For it is not in our power, but belongs to God alone, to judge which, how great, and how many the sins are, as it is written in Psalm 143.2, Enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. And Paul says, 1 Corinthians 4.4, 4, For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. Part 3, Article 8 of Confession Since absolution, for the power of the keys, is also an aid and consolation against sin, and a bad conscience, ordained by Christ himself in the gospel, confession or absolution ought by no means to be abolished in the church, especially on account of tender and timid consciences, and on account of the untrained and capricious young people, in order that they may be examined and instructed in the Christian doctrine. But the enumeration of sins ought to be free to everyone as to what he wishes to enumerate or not to enumerate, for as long as we are in the flesh, we shall not lie when we say, I am a poor man. I acknowledge that I am a miserable sinner, full of sin. Romans 7.23 I see another law in my members, and so forth. For since private absolution originates in the office of the keys, it should not be despised, neglected, but greatly and highly esteemed of the greatest worth as also all other offices of the Christian Church. And in those things which concern the spoken, outward word, we must firmly hold that God grants His Spirit or grace to no one except through or with the preceding outward word, in order that we may thus be protected against the enthusiasts, that is, spirits who boast that they have the Spirit without and before the word, and accordingly judge Scripture, or the spoken word, and explain and stretch it at their pleasure, as Munzer did, and many still do at the present day, who wish to be acute judges between the spirit and the letter, and yet know not what they say or declare. For, indeed, the papacy also is nothing but sheer enthusiasm, by which the Pope boasts that all rights exist in the shrine of his heart, and whatever he decides and commands with in his church is spirit and right even though it is above and contrary to Scripture and the spoken word. All this is the old devil and old serpent, who also converted Adam and Eve into enthusiasts, and led them from the outward word of God to spiritualizing and self-conceit. And nevertheless he accomplished this through other outward words, just as also our enthusiasts at the present day condemn the outward word, and nevertheless they themselves are not silent, but they fill the world with their pratings and writings, as though, indeed, the Spirit could not come through the writings and spoken word of the apostles, but first through their writings and words he must come. Why, then, do they not also omit their own sermons and writings, until the Spirit himself comes to men without their writings and before them, 
as they boast that he has come into them without the preaching of the Scriptures. But of these matters there is not time now to dispute at greater length. We have elsewhere sufficiently urged this subject. For even those who believe before baptism, or become believing in baptism, believe through the preceding outward word, as the adults who have come to reason must first have heard. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, even though they are at first unbelieving, and receive the Spirit and baptism ten years afterwards. Cornelius, Acts 10, 1 and following, had heard long before among the Jews of the coming Messiah, through whom he was righteous before God, and in such faith his prayers and alms were acceptable to God, as Luke calls him devout and God-fearing. Without such preceding word and hearing could not have believed or been righteous. But St. Peter had to reveal to him that the Messiah, in whom, as one that was to come, he had hitherto believed, now had come, lest his faith concerning the coming Messiah hold him captive among the hardened and unbelieving Jews, but know that he was now to be saved by the present Messiah, and must not, with the rabble of the Jews, deny nor persecute him. In a word, enthusiasm inheres in Adam and his children from the beginning, from the first fall to the end of the world, its poison having been implanted and infused into them by the old dragon, and is the origin, power, life, and strength of all heresy, especially of that of the papacy and Mohammed. Therefore, we ought and must constantly maintain this point, that God does not wish to deal with us otherwise than through the spoken word and the sacraments. It is the devil himself, whatsoever is extolled as spirit, without the word and sacraments. For God wished to appear even to Moses through the burning bush and spoken word. And no prophet, neither Elijah nor Elisha, received the spirit without the Ten Commandments or spoken word. Neither was John the Baptist conceived without the preceding word of Gabriel, nor did he leap in his mother's womb without the voice of Mary. And Peter says, 2 Peter 1.21, The prophecy came not by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Without the outward word, however, they were not holy. Much less would the Holy Ghost have moved them to speak when they still were unholy or profane. For they were holy, says he, since the Holy Ghost spake through them. Part 3. Article 9 of Excommunication. The greater excommunication, as the Pope calls it, we regard only as a civil penalty, and it does not concern us ministers of the Church. But the lesser, that is, the true Christian excommunication, consists in this, that manifest and obstinate sinners are not admitted to the sacrament and other communion of the Church until they amend their lives and avoid sin, and ministers ought not to mingle secular punishments with this ecclesiastical punishment or excommunication. Part 3, Article 10 of Ordination and the Call If the bishops would be true bishops, would rightly discharge their office, and would devote themselves to the Church and the Gospel, it might be granted to them for the sake of love and unity, but not from necessity, to ordain and confirm us and our preachers, omitting, however, all comedies and spectacular display, 
deceptions, absurdities, and appearances of unchristian heathenish parade and pomp. But because they neither are nor wish to be true bishops, but worldly lords and princes, who will neither preach nor teach nor baptize nor administer the Lord's Supper, nor perform any work or office of the church, and, moreover, persecute and condemn those who discharge these functions, having been called to do so, the church ought not on their account to remain without ministers, to be forsaken by or deprived of ministers. Therefore, as the ancient examples of the church and the fathers teach us, we ourselves will and ought to ordain suitable persons to this office, and, even according to their own laws, they have not the right to forbid or prevent us. For their laws say that those ordained even by heretics should be declared truly ordained, and stay ordained, and that such ordination must not be changed. As St. Jerome writes of the church at Alexandria, that at first it was governed in common by priests and preachers, without bishops. Part 3, Article 11 of the Marriage of Priests To prohibit marriage and to burden the divine order of priests with perpetual celibacy, they have had neither authority nor right. They have done out of malice, without any honest reason, but have acted like anti-Christian, tyrannical, desperate scoundrels, have performed the work of antichrist, of tyrants, and the worst knaves, and have thereby caused all kinds of horrible, abominable, innumerable sins of unchastity, depraved lusts, in which they still wallow. Now, as little as we or they have been given the power to make a woman out of a man, or a man out of a woman, or to nullify either sex, so little they have the power to sunder and separate such creatures of God, or to forbid them from living and cohabiting honestly in marriage with one another. Therefore we are unwilling to assent to their abominable celibacy, nor will we even tolerate it. But we wish to have marriage free as God has instituted and ordained it, and we wish neither to rescind nor hinder his work. For Paul says, 1 Timothy 4, 1 and following, that this prohibition of marriage is a doctrine of devils. Part 3, Article 12 of the Church we do not concede to them that they are the church, and in truth they are not the church. Nor will we listen to those things which, under the name of church, they enjoin or forbid. For thank God, today a child seven years old knows what the church is, namely, the holy believers and lambs who hear the voice of their shepherd. For the children pray thus, I believe in one holy Catholic or Christian church. This holiness does not consist in albs, tonsures, long gowns, and other of their ceremonies devised by them beyond Holy Scripture, but in the Word of God and true faith. Part 3. Article 13. How one is justified before God, and of good works. What I have hitherto and constantly taught concerning this I know not how to change in the least, namely, that by faith, as St. Peter says, we acquire a new and clean heart, and God will and does account us entirely righteous and holy for the sake of Christ our Mediator. And although sin in the flesh has not yet been altogether removed or become dead, yet He will not punish or remember it. And such faith, renewal, and forgiveness of sins is followed by good works. 
and what there is still sinful or imperfect also in them shall not be accounted as sin or defect, even, and that too for Christ's sake. But the entire man, both as to his person and his works, is to be called and to be righteous and holy from pure grace and mercy, shed upon us, unfolded and spread over us in Christ. Therefore we cannot boast of many merits and works if they are viewed apart from grace and mercy, but as it is written, 1 Corinthians 1.31, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, namely, that he has a gracious God, for thus all is well. We say, besides, that if good works do not follow, faith is false and not true. Part 3, Article 14 of Monastic Vows As monastic vows directly conflict with the first chief article, they must be absolutely abolished. For it is of them that Christ says, Matthew 24, 5, 23 and following, I am Christ, and so forth. For he who makes a vow to live as a monk believes that he will enter upon a mode of life holier than ordinary Christians lead, and wishes to earn heaven by his own works, not only for himself, but also for others. This is to deny Christ. And they boast from their St. Thomas that a monastic vow is equal to baptism. This is blasphemy against God. Part 3, Article 15 of Human Traditions The declaration of the Papists that human traditions serve for the remission of sins or merit salvation is altogether unchristian and condemned. As Christ says, Matthew 15, 9, In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Again, Titus 1, 14, That turn from the truth. Again, when they declare that it is a mortal sin if one breaks these ordinances, does not keep these statutes, this too is not right. These are the articles on which I must stand, and, God willing, shall stand even to my death. And I do not know how to change or to yield anything in them. If any one wishes to yield anything, let him do it at the peril of his conscience. Lastly, there still remains the Pope's bag of impostures, concerning foolish and childish articles, as the dedication of churches, the baptism of bells, the baptism of the altar-stone, and the inviting of sponsors to these rites who would make donations towards them. Such baptizing is a reproach and mockery of holy baptism, hence should not be tolerated. Furthermore, concerning the consecration of wax tapers, palm branches, cakes, oats, herbs, spices, and so forth, which indeed cannot be called consecrations, but are sheer mockery and fraud. And such deceptions there are without number, which we commend for adoration to their God and to themselves, until they weary of it. We will, ought to, have nothing to do with them. Dr. Martin Luther, subscribed. Dr. Justice Jonas, rector, subscribed with his own hand. Dr. John Bugenhagen, Pomeranus, subscribed. Dr. Kaspar Kreutziger, subscribed. Nicholas Omsdorf of Magdeburg, subscribed. George Spalatin of Altenburg, subscribed. I, Philip Melanchthon, also regard, approve the above articles as right and Christian, but 
Regarding the Pope, I hold that, if he would allow the gospel, his superiority over the bishops which he has otherwise, is conceded to him by human right also by us, for the sake of peace and general unity of those Christians who are also under him, and may be under him hereafter. John Agricola of Eisleben, subscribed. Gabriel Didymus, subscribed. I, Dr. Urban Vrigius, superintendent of the churches of the Duchy of Lüneburg, subscribe in my own name, and in the name of my brethren, and of the Church of Hanover. I, Stephen Agricola, minister at Hof, subscribe. Also I, John Draconitis, professor and minister at Marburg, subscribe. I, Conrad Figenbolts, for the glory of God, subscribe that I have thus believed, and am still preaching and firmly believing, as above. I, Andrew Osiander of Nuremberg, subscribe. I, Magister Veit Dietrich, minister at Nuremberg, subscribe. I, Erhard Schnepf, preacher at Stuttgart, subscribe. Conrad Ettinger, preacher of Duke Ulrich, at Fortsheim. Simon Schneeweiss, pastor of the church of Kralsheim. I, John Schleinhaufen, pastor of the church at Kirthen, subscribe. The Reverend Magister George Helt of Forschheim. The Reverend Magister Adam of Fulda, preacher in Hesse. The Reverend Magister Anthony Corvinus, preacher in Hesse. I, Dr. John Bugenhagen, Pomeranus, again subscribe in the name of Magister John Brentz, as on departing from Smalcald he directed me orally and by a letter, which I have shown to those brethren who have subscribed. I, Dionysius Melander, subscribe to the Confession, the Apology, and the Concordia on the subject of the Eucharist. Paul Rodius, Superintendent of Stetten. Gerard Enneken, Superintendent of the Church of Minden. I, Brixius Northanus, Minister of the Church of Christ, which is at Zeust, subscribe to the articles of the Reverend Father Martin Luther, and confess that hitherto I have thus believed and taught, and by the Spirit of Christ I shall continue thus to believe and teach. Michael Kelius, Preacher at Mansfield, subscribed. The Reverend Magister Peter Geltner, preacher at Frankfurt, subscribe. Vendel Faber, pastor of Zeeburg in Monsfeld. I, John Epinus, subscribe. Likewise I, John Amsterdam of Bremen. I, Frederick Myconius, pastor of the church at Goethe in Thuringia, subscribe in my own name and in that of Justus Menius of Eisenach. I, Dr. John Lang, preacher of the church at Erfurt, subscribe with my own hand in my own name and in that of my other co-workers in the gospel, namely, the Reverend Licentiate Ludwig Plotz of Melsingen, the Reverend Magister Sigismund Kirschner, the Reverend Wolfgang Kismeter, the Reverend Melchior Weitmann, the Reverend John Tall, the Reverend John Killian, the Reverend Nicholas Faber, the Reverend Andrew Menser, 
and I, Egedius Mechler, have subscribed with my own hand. End of Part 3 Recording by Jonathan Lang End of the Small Called Articles by Martin Luther Translated by F. Benty and W. H. T. Dow